This is Vern Benham Grimsley with the Spiritual Renaissance Broadcast. Years ago, an American automobile manufacturer adopted this motto for the company. Number one, fix what's wrong. Number two, keep what's good. Number three, move on ahead. But take a moment to apply those three principles to your life and the way you live it. First, fix what's wrong. It's easier to fix a machine than a person. You aren't controlled by brakes and power steering. Jesus said, out of the heart are the issues of life. Now, you might better understand that word heart and the way he meant it if you use the more familiar term attitude. If your basic attitudes are wrong toward God, toward other people, even wrong toward you yourself, you'll live a miserable, unproductive life. You cannot control the length of your life, but you can control the depth of your life. It's spiritual, philosophic, inner depth. You can't control the contour of your countenance, but you can control its expression. You cannot control the other person's opportunities, but you can grasp hold of your own. You cannot control the weather, but you can control the moral atmosphere which surrounds you in your life. You cannot control the distance that your head shall be above the ground, but you can control the height of the contents of your head. And it is your attitude which determines your altitude. You cannot control the other person's faults, but you can see to it that you yourself do not develop or harbor provoking propensities, animosities, or angers, or hatreds. Why worry about things you cannot control? Get busy, rather, with the things that you can control, which depend on you. Walter Eisenhower wrote this poem. If wounded by some critic's word, or hurt by tongues that utter lies, if false reports on you are heard by those who watch with faithless eyes, don't seek revenge and rise to strike and think your foes will soon be gone, but love in your heart. Love on, love on. Love on in spite of wounding darts, in spite of what the critics say. Love on through grace that God imparts. The way of love will bring you out. Though dark the night before the dawn, keep on in faith and shun the doubt. And love from your heart. Love on, love on. Said Jesus, overcome evil with good. And he said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, he said, and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Rather than being consumed by jealousy and envy, psychiatrist Dr. Willard Galen has written that one of the deepest problems in human nature is envy. He said, envy is a general, mean-spirited resentment of anyone else's good fortune, and it's marked by the desire to bring other people down to your level rather than building yourself up. This all-encompassing nature of envy distinguishes it from jealousy, which does focus on something specific, a job or money or a lover or a parent's approval, something that seems to have been lost to someone else. Jealousy is rooted in the suspicion that someone has stolen or is about to steal something which you value, the psychiatrist says. Envy is much larger. The envious person feels diminished by anyone else's achievements or happiness. There doesn't have to be a personal connection at all. Envy flows from an overwhelming sense of deprivation, a belief that there is a limited quantity of love and happiness in this world and that there won't be enough left if other people seem to be getting more than their fair share. The psychiatrist says most envy-plagued people engage not in acts of sabotage but in passive, whining resentment toward anyone else who seems to have more than a fair share of life's blessings. What Dr. Galen calls the comparative point of view is critical to the development of this envy, which originates in childhood. One of the first sentences children utter is this one. He says... It's not fair. It just isn't fair. New York psychotherapist Linda Barbanel wrote, The adult consumed with envy is an overgrown child running around screaming in his or her own mind, It just isn't fair. 
but it isn't whether you have enough to be content. It's being content with what you do have. The true riches of life are not material and exterior. They are spiritual and inward in the finding and knowing of God, faith in God, trusting God with your present, your past, your future, all which you are to become, and living as the son or daughter of God you are, living as if you were infinitely valuable, as if you had the right to be here as certainly as the sun, the moon, the stars, the asteroids, the nebula, the great stellar wheels of outer space. You have a place in this universe. God loves you. And the love of God can totally transform your life and the way you live it. With the help of God, your life can begin to change. The first hurdle to overcome after determining what it is you want to change is to accept the fact that you're going to have to make a conscious effort to bring about this change. Bad habits cannot be conquered by determined resolutions alone or empty promises. There are many ways to take positive action. One proven method is to substitute the positive for the negative in your thoughts, your words, your deeds. The positive for the negative. Think about that. Jesus said, overcome evil with good. If you're having trouble in the area, for example, of interpersonal relationships or with family, staff, colleagues, try substituting tolerance for intolerance, kindness for uncaring, patience for negativism, courtesy for insincerity, humor for seriousness or pomposity, love for the passing indifference which characterizes so much of life. These tools can have a positive effect in your life and in your attitude toward people around you. Determine what it is you most want to change in your life and pray for God's guidance and God's strength to begin to make those changes. Accept the premise that you're going to have to take action to ensure that change takes place. Maintain a firm determination to do whatever is necessary to improve your life with the guidance of God, committing yourself daily to the will of God, praying that great prayer taught by Jesus of Nazareth, Thy will be done, saying to God, It is my will that your will be done. Sir Thomas Merton wrote in No Man is an Island, Although all men have a common destiny, each individual also has to work out his personal salvation for himself. We can help one another find the meaning of life, but in the last analysis, each person is responsible for seeking and finding this for himself or herself. Said the master, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened, ask and you shall receive. This will transform your life. It is written, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the Spirit of God. For the kingdom of God is within you. Learn to pray, talk with God. There are times in a man's life, Victor Hugo, the great French author, wrote, when regardless of the attitude of the body, the soul is on its knees in prayer. Because prayer isn't just the recitation of theological theories or formulas or formulations or creeds or catechisms. It's the soul's sincere desire. It is reaching out and relating to the God who created you, the God who has loved you as long as you have existed and who will love you for eternity, who has eternal life for you if you'll live by eternal values, truth, and beauty, and goodness, and live in love for God and others. Our prayers must mean something to us, Maltby Babcock wrote, if they're to mean anything to God. Make sure it means something to you, that you're not just whistling between your teeth, but you're really, really crying out, calling to God for God's help in your life. One of Jane Austen's prayers begins with these words, Grant us grace, Almighty Father, so to pray as to deserve to be heard. And then once you have prayed, once you've poured out your soul to God, pause and listen and go from prayer to meditation to worship. Simply being glad for God, praising 
your universal father, the source and center of all things and beings, the origin of it all, the God who gives you the breath in your nostrils, the pulse beat at your wrist, the heartbeat beneath your breastbone, the God who has loved you as long as you have been and who will love you for all eternity if you'll live in love for God and others and live by eternal values, truth and beauty and goodness and love for God and love for humankind. Back in the 19th century, Charles G. Finney, the brilliant lawyer, was converted to a belief in God on the morning of the 10th of October, 1821. That very evening, he received an overwhelming anointing of God's Spirit. And then what happened? These are Charles Finney's own words. I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here and there to individuals were the means of their immediate conversion. They turned to God. My words seemed to fasten like barbed arrows in the souls of men and women. They cut like a sword. They broke the heart like a hammer. Multitudes can attest to this. He was a great orator and a great teacher. Charles Finney went on to say, Sometimes I would find myself in a great measure empty of this power. I would go and visit with people about spiritual matters and find that I made no impression at all on them. I would then set apart a day for private fasting and prayer. I would turn to God. I would inquire of God for the reason for this apparent emptiness. And after humbling myself and crying out for help, once again this power would return upon me with all its freshness. This has been the experience, he said. This has been the experience of my life. That can be the experience of your life as well. God has a purpose for you, not just to bask in God's love and your forgiveness and your confidence and faith of eternal life, but to share this with others, to bring this truth, this good news, this joyous way of living to all the world, beginning where you are and as you are this very moment. Listen to this story. This is from the Spanish-American War. Some transport ships with supplies for General Shafter's army found it impossible to secure anchorage off the coast of Cuba. They were compelled to steam slowly back and forth. This made it difficult to land the horses and the mules. It was finally decided upon to push the horses and mules overboard and let them swim ashore. So they were pushed into the water, and soon the sea was black with these animals. Some instinctively swam toward the shore. Others completed circles in the water. Still others, more frightened than the rest, began to swim out to the sea. It was a distressing situation. The ship's officers were deeply in concern. Finally, the men who were on board the transport ships spied a soldier on shore, hastily making his way toward a rocky promontory. The stripes on his uniform denoted that he was the bugler. The jutting rocks reached. He placed the bugle to his lips, and he began calling one after another of the great war calls which these army horses and mules had learned to know so well through the years. The sound traveled far out to sea. It was heard by every bewildered, struggling mule and horse there in the water. They turned and they began to swim toward the call. The bugler stood there and sounded those calls until his lips were blue and bleeding. And when finally he did cease, every single confused, trembling animal from the ship was safe on shore. And so it is with the call of God. God needs somebody to sound that call to humanity, to the world, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, to sound it faithfully and earnestly, these great good tidings of spiritual joy and richness of life. And they will fall upon the ears of people listening, and somewhere, sometime, people will turn and come to God. It matters not that you may not understand how your feeble and hampered human efforts to win other people to 
to God will actually have effect, leave that to God. Simply sound the good tidings of the truth of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, that one day the nation shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, and the world shall not learn the ways of war anymore. We shall live with peace on earth and goodwill among humankind. Dare to stand for it and live for it and support it, and you will be part of the transformation of this world. Then write to us, will you, at the Spiritual Renaissance Institute, Box 3080, Oakhurst, California, 93644. We have free literature. We want to hear from you at the Spiritual Renaissance Institute. For those of you listening in other countries around the world over our international satellite and shortwave network, let me spell that address. It's Box 3080, Oakhurst, O-A-K-H-U-R-S-T, California, C-A-L-I-F-O-R-N-I-A, 93644, United States of America. This is a non-sectarian, non-profit program proclaiming the dawning spiritual renaissance the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, the worldwide family of God. And so for now, this is Vern Benham Grimsley saying, may God's will be done by you. Good day.